Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello there, guys. I hope you're well. We're back again with another installation of the Beautiful Game podcast and Eurosport collaboration bringing you coverage of the Champions League fixtures. And of course, this time round, uh, it was the first leg of the quarterfinals. Uh, a lot of talking points, uh, very, very interesting games, a lot of uh, back and forth and up and down. Um, and, and of course, we are going to dissect that on this particular episode. Of course, I'm joined uh, by the usual co-conspirators, Dot and Dej, and also uh, Pete from Eurosport. Gents, how are we doing? Very well. Doing good, very good. Doing good. Re- recovering, recovering from Liverpool. <laughs> Great stuff. Now, of course, it, it's funny because we were saying uh, off air that uh, last time round, uh, given the fact that uh, it, you know the, the the last fixtures that we covered weren't so interesting, uh, it was difficult to take some talking points out of those those games. But I mean, we did wish and hope that the uh, first leg of the quarterfinals would would uh, bear much fruit in terms of uh, talking points, and and boy did they deliver uh, both with the games that happened this evening, and of course uh, yesterday evening too. And uh, we're going to go through one by one and, of course, uh, dissect each of those fixtures and, and get your thoughts on them. Um, I think that, that the only place that we can possibly start is, uh, you know, the clash of the heavyweights in uh, Bayern Munich and PSG. Of course, that certainly was a, a, a game that was end to end with goals galore. Um, you know, I, I can't see how um, there weren't more goals in that game, just with, you know, how, how open some of the defences were and, and, and the chances that both teams were creating, certainly towards the end of that game with uh, Bayern Munich in, in, in the final minutes of, of that game. But uh, Dej, lead us on, on your thoughts on this particular game. Um, was it what you expected or, or, or did it uh, surprise you with the end result? It surprised me in a very, very positive way, to be honest. Usually when you get two heavyweights, you might get a bit of a feeling out process. But in this game, they started going hammer and tongs. And obviously PSG took that lead. Obviously Neymar running through after a great ball by Di Maria. And you thought he was going to take the shot on himself because he's a confident boy. But he actually played in his mate, Kylian Mbappe. And I thought it was a terrible mistake by Manuel Neuer. Mm. You know, he got his technique wrong. He should have saved it, in my opinion. But that was the theme of the game. Bayern kind of controlled possession and PSG on that potent counter-attack. 
they were devastating. And a theme throughout the game was Bayern didn't know whether to stick or twist. They didn't know whether to squeeze up the pitch or drop drop deep. And they were mm-hmm. sort of caught in that limbo and obviously improved as the game went on because they made several substitutes, which aided in the speed around the pitch. But obviously Marquinhos making it 2-0 and you're thinking, whoa, you know, is this tie going to be done today? Kind of thing. But obviously... Mm. Bayern Munich rallied and they made it a good game. And we saw, you know, a fantastic and entertaining classic Champions League quarterfinal tie. Yeah, 100%. 100%. You know, uh, prior to the game, I, you know, in my mind, I was, I was just thinking absolutely PSG need to just get the away goal. You know, they just need to press early on and, and score and get the away goal. And, and I was worried um, for on, on the part of Bayern, mainly because of the fact that um, there was no, there was going to be no Lewandowski. Obviously, you know he he's out for the next month, um, having suffered an, an injury on on, inter, on um, you know, international duty. So whilst I, you know, knew that Bayern had uh, goals in other areas um, on, on the pitch that and people that could uh, chip in with goals, I was just worried because obviously you know you miss someone like a Lewandowski who's so sharp. And we've seen him, you know, in, 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 in uh, previous fixtures, fastest finger first. He's always really, really on, on, on the money. One of the players that I picked out prior to this game to step up and contribute um, in this game was Leroy Sane. And in, in my view, I don't think he was a player that necessarily stepped up as much as I had expected him to. Um, and I guess, I, you know, looking at individual performances on the side of, of Bayern, whilst they did create um, a, a number of opportunities, um, I mean, I, I guess what I wanted to do was is, is uh, hear from you, um, Dot, in terms of who you felt were the, the, the standout performers for Bayern and who you felt um, didn't necessarily step up to the plate like they should. I think the name you mentioned, Leroy Sane, I was very, very disappointed. He was almost playing like he's won three Ballon d'Ors and he has nothing to prove anymore. Mm. Every time he got the ball, he was overthinking, too relaxed, thinking that he's playing the game at his own pace. And I expect more because this is a player that left Manchester City to join Bayern Munich and to be, you know, one of the world's best wingers because we know he has the ability to be devastating on his day. And I think he really let me down. When you compare him to the Neymars and Mbappes, you're meant to be putting Sane in that category and he didn't show up today. Um, as for performances, I think Bayern Munich were fantastic. I think mm-hmm. they're the best team in Europe. And I think after seeing today's performance, I can I can actually back that up with confidence because I just think the way they played the game, I know they lost, but they dominated the game. And I just think, obviously, there's a bit of issues defensively, but I think they're still going to get through um, over two legs because I just see them being too strong. And I think if they can assure that defence, they will get goals against PSG and I think they can win mm. that game comfortably. Mm. As for standout performers, I would say Alaba, he really caught my eye in the middle of the pitch and Kimmich, that was just pivot in the midfield, mm. just, you know, orchestrating the play. So he was very, very good. And Kinsley Coleman, who I would say yeah. has improved in my opinion. I think when I used to watch him before, he lacked in products, but now he's beating his man and he's, you know, bringing decisive action. So I think... Bayern Munich lost the game. I think the commentary was a bit making it seem like Bayern Munich weren't playing well in the first half, but I think they played very well, but they just got caught out quite a mm. few times. So, yeah, I think Bayern Munich can keep their heads up high. 
Yeah, hundred percent. And you you uh, uh, noted a really uh, a good name there in in Joshua Kimmich. So, um, Opta Joe after the game released a stat and and um, and it basically highlighted the fact that uh, Kimmich created ten chances in that game, which is the most by a, a player in a single UEFA Champions League match at this stage uh, in in terms of the quarterfinals. Um, you know, since Mesut Ozil did for Real Madrid uh, versus Tottenham back in April of 2011, uh, he created 12 chances in that game. So definitely, uh, uh, you know, a, a top tier performance from him. And of course, other uh, players stepped up um, in that game as well. You you, you mentioned Coleman, um, of course, and and, and Alaba, and, and there were there were just great performances all all around. You know, um, players stepping up. Thomas Muller. You know, he always uh, tends to come timeless, up clutch, timeless, timeless you know, <laughs> comes up clutch when, when he needs to. So, you know, great all around. Um, Pete, I want to come to you now and I want to get also your, your thoughts on this particular game, but also with uh, a view to the second leg. Um, how, how do PSG set up best to see out this tie? Can, can they do it? Will they do it? Um, if you're if you're Pochettino, what are you thinking going to the into the second leg of this tie? Can they do it? Yes. Will they do it? I don't know. But I think Mauricio Pochettino deserves a lot of credit for coming to Bayern and playing the way they did. That is not something that a lot of teams do. I mean, let's be honest. You watch that game back, and PSG were just playing YOLO football. Like it was unbelievable at times. <laughs> just, <laughs> you can't, you can't you can't say it any other way like you, if you if, like he's looked at that he's looked at the situation that he's in and he started with Diallo the left back left back who is primarily a center back and he's brought in Dagba to play right back like it's weak that team like there's a, they're missing players I know Bayern are missing Lewandowski but PSG are ravaged as well there's no Marco Verratti either mm. and he's come he's he's come to Bayern and rather than try and shut up shop he's looked at his back line he's thought we ain't keeping them out let's just go for it and try and do it. And this is so reminiscent of his early days at Tottenham when they were just playing for fun. And he just looked like everyone on the pitch in a Tottenham show was having a great time. And for the first time in what feels like ages, it actually looks like that for PSG as well. This is a club that always seems to have something going on in the background. And it still does with the Neymar and Mbappe situations in terms of their future. But actually, they look like they're having fun. And I think they know deep down that one of those two superstars is going to leave this summer, mm. maybe the next. So you've only got one, maybe an outside shot, two more shots with this team. And I reckon everyone's just bought in. Angel Di Maria at near the end of his career as well. Like, I think they're all just bought in. And I think, I don't know, that's just bringing something out of Neymar as well. Like, it's such a mature performance. Like, that pass to Mbappe, mm. one to Marquinhos was outrageous. Yeah. Was such a good vision. And I just think if I was Pochettino and I was doing my team talk before the second leg, just do that again. Just go out and attack. Because Lewandowski said before the game that he thinks he's not going to be able to make the second leg. So they're going to be struggling for players. Get See if you can do it again. Just go and get another early goal. I think Bayern are not going to come and sit. They're going to push high up again. They're going yeah. to take those chances. And Mbappe proves tonight he will get in behind them every single time. And if you've got Verratti back and he can be playing those passes from deeper than pitch, why would you not just try and go for it? If you get one goal, all of a sudden Bayern need to score three. And I don't know. I just think... The worst thing he could do now is to go into the second leg and sit and play, mm-hmm. depending on if Marquinhos is fit. If he if he plays Marquinhos, Danilo and Gray as like a really deep three, it doesn't let them roam at all. One of them has got to be pushing up to support that front three. I think that's the way you're going to get something out of this game. 
No, yeah. I think Pete made some brilliant points about Neymar and Mbappe. And I think Neymar's legacy at PSG hinges on them mm, winning the Champions League. Absolutely. I believe if they don't win the Champions League, his time at PSG will be known as a failure because he went out there to step outside of Lionel Messi's shadow and cement himself by himself. But without a Champions League, in my opinion, it doesn't make the move worth it. Yeah, it's the same as what we said about the Ronaldo deal a few weeks ago. But it's exactly the same. You went there to prove that you could win somewhere else and you haven't done that yet. And I I don't know what PSG's, PSG are thinking at the moment, but this is starting to feel like a real shot. And if they don't get it after losing the final last year, I do wonder whether there'll be changes. Not in the dugout, but just with the personnel. Mm. Just because I think you're committing so much money to mm. those players. I just think... And they, I, I think both of them want to go in some respects. So I don't know. I just think this is, it's all starting to feel like the last dance of PSG. Even though Poch has only been there for four months. <laughs> wow. Very, very interesting. Some very, very poignant um, things mentioned just then. Um, so let, let, let us wait and see. Is it, is it, fi- is, is, you know, is, has the penny finally dropped for these players at PSG? Have they finally realised that it's, it now, it's now or never ultimately, um, you know, if, surely if they can, if they can see this tie out, then, I mean, you know, they, they've, they've got to become favourites, right? Because I think, you know, everyone felt that um, Bayern Munich were favourites um, uh, before this 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 tie uh, to, to 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 win the whole thing, and I think certainly on the part of PSG, it's a bit of retribution. You know, of course they they probably went into this game remembering the the final um, and and wanting to get some revenge, and so I think um, that that probably played into how they approach this game as well. Um, the, the next fixture we're going to talk about is the, the one played between Real Madrid and Liverpool. And of course, the, uh, the, the big talking points prior to this game were the fact that Real Madrid were going to be missing both of their starting centre-halves. Um, they, of course, released that uh, statement on social media a few hours before kickoff that uh, Rafael Varane, unfortunately, had uh, uh, caught COVID and would be out of the game. And of course, you know, uh, Sergio Ramos, um, you know, uh, wasn't part of that game um, either with with obviously some some off the field issues too so um neither team was starting with uh the, the, their best uh back line and and after um you know the, the result that Liverpool um got at the weekend versus Arsenal surely they were going into that game confident that um they could at least get a goal um you know some top performances in that game from 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 uh uh, uh, Diogo Jota in particular, um, and 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 Salah. Um, we're going to come to you, Dot, on this one. Um, l- going into that game, did you did you expect or or believe that Liverpool would uh, come away uh, victors? Uh, does does the result surprise you at all? And what do you uh, put the uh, performance or or the result ultimately down to? It's a tough one. It was a real tough one to take because before the game, I was very confident. I was thinking, you know what, we're going to go there. We're going to turn up and we're going to win this game. But I just think Klopp got it a bit wrong. I don't like to say that, you know, in retrospect or in hindsight, but I think when you look at starting Naby Keita, when Thiago is made for the Champions League, we've seen, you know, some of his best performances come in the knockout stages of the Champions League. So I think Thiago has to start. And I just think our approach, we didn't, you know, approach the game 
with any sort of physicality. We didn't press them from the beginning. And I think we allowed Real Madrid to settle down. Mm-hmm. And Modric were thinking, hold on, this is not the Liverpool I know. <laughs> we can have a field day here. They're not pressing us. They're giving us all the space in the midfield. Me and Tony Cruz are arguably the best midfield duo in the last 15 years. This is this is a walk in the park. And I think they they saw that very quickly and they exploited Liverpool game and they noticed that, you know, Trent is not in the best of forms defensively. Let's get out in 1v1 and let's cause, you know, devastation. And I think they continue to do that throughout the whole first half. Um, from a Liverpool point of view, I just think the centre-backs, you know, they're not the first-choice centre-backs. They don't have, you know, massive Champions League experience. Nat Phillips is a player that was meant to be going, you know, on loan again at the start of the season. So I think the occasion got to Liverpool. I wouldn't say the tie's over because I still back us, you know, at Anfield to try and turn the game around. But it's advantage Real Madrid and we'll see what happens in the next leg. I have to say that before the game, I think there was a total disrespect and disregard to Real Madrid. Everyone you spoke to say, yeah, Liverpool are going to go through. Liverpool beat Real Madrid away from home. And again, the one thing you can't buy, borrow or pretend to have is experience. And that's what Real Madrid have. They've won the competition several times. And as Dot said, the approach to the game, Klopp came out before and said, you know, Naby brings that dribbling, that energy. We want to press the midfield. We know that they can be a bit one pace, but the approach was very lethargic, very pedantic and pedestrian. There was no pressure on the ball. Someone like Tony Cruz, once he Tony Cruz, once he contacts the ball, you're meant to be in his face, allowing him to pick up and pick <laughs> passes. It's criminal, you know, like playing the ball in behind. And Nat Phillips is the sort of of defender, he's food and drink, you know, mashed potatoes and sausages, headers, anything in and around the ground, you know, he struggles. And to be honest, Real Madrid played on that. And I thought, Trent, I don't want to pick him out, you know, for the mistake. But the one bit that really was an eye-opener was when Ferla Mendy sort of went past him. That was a big dereliction of duty on his behalf, to be honest, because it's almost like he said, you know what, I'm not defending, but... You know, second half, to be fair to Liverpool, they picked up the first 10, 15 minutes and they got the goal from their best move of the game, you know, Mm -hmm. playing out, getting through the midfield, Jota having that miscued shot, then obviously Salah finishing. But again, the third goal that we conceded or Liverpool conceded, terrible. You know, just watching, no communication. Like, there should have been communication from Trent. Listen, Vinicius is coming on. Be careful. But nothing came and Real Madrid win 3-1 and... I sort of disagree with Dot in terms of backing Liverpool to turn it around. I think Anfield is the stadium for atmosphere. At the moment, it's just brick and mortar. You've seen Liverpool, you know, last few games at home, they've lost them in convincing Mm. fashion. And I think Real Madrid are definitely overwhelming favourites going into this tie. And yeah, I think it was a bad day in the office. And you've gone up. No, but what I would, sorry, Pete, what I would quickly say is that we made this Real Madrid team look far better than what they really are. And I think when you look at the opening 10 minutes of the second half, you can see the minute we started to add tempo, add zip in our play, press Mm. aggressively, they were ready to crack. They were ready to crack. Mm. So I think if Liverpool can start like that at Anfield, I can see this Real Madrid team cracking because I don't think they've got it physically. Two points here. One... We talked about both of you guys talked about experience there, and you're absolutely right. But 
bar Jota and the centre backs, this is a Liverpool team that won the Champions League and won the Premier League. Like they, this is a team that knows how to be at their best on the biggest stages, and they didn't show up as bad as the defence was. The attack was disappointing, and I, I was surprised that Klopp kept Mane on. He was that bad. I would, I would have, I would have kept Jota on, and I wouldn't. I'd have taken Mane off. Mane has been magnificent for the last two or three seasons, but he's. He's letting them down last night. And I just think you needed to make that change. And the other thing I'd say in regards to Real Madrid is that they are they have been disappointed this year. And the way they went out of the Champions League last year was disappointing. But they are only three points off the top of La Liga. And they were missing three out of four of their starting back four. And, I, it, and it's a good team. And Vinicius is a bit hit and miss. But mm. a lot there's a lot of goodness there. Like Benzema's playing the best football of his career now that Ronaldo's gone. Like Cruz, Modric and Casemiro is possibly the best midfield in, in the world, if not top two or three. Like They are legitimately a very good team. Uh, I just, I guess, I think the way I, the way I looked at the teams when they came out, it's what the, what the team she t- said to me at the time was, we are going to override them and we're just going to cause them so many problems with our pressing and they're not going to have mm. to deal with it. And then, as Dej said, it was just so passive. It was so like square passing, backwards passing. There was no incisiveness at all. There was none of that running and then the mm. pressing made Liverpool so deadly over the last two years. And I just think, I, I don't know whether that is just a hangover from the travelling after Sunday's game or if there's actually something else going on there. But it, it, it's weird. You don't, at the moment with Liverpool, I just don't feel like you know what you're going to get when they rock up. That's the problem. That's the problem. And... This is the Liverpool we've been seeing over the last few months. Everyone was sort of saying, oh, Liverpool have recovered now. They're out of that blip. But when you look at the opposition that Liverpool have been playing, you know, Leipzig, and they played a few mid-table teams, you know, in Arsenal and Wolves. And this was a real acid (laughs) bridge. Bridge, you didn't like that one, did you? No, no, but what I would say is that we need to give credit to Zidane because he's the manager that we say, okay, gets the best out of good players. But I think yesterday they were tactically disciplined and they got their tactics down to a T. So we have to give him credit. That was a special performance from Real Madrid. Mm. The the one question that I have is, and you guys all um, mentioned it, is that when Liverpool injected some pace into the game, that's where they got their goal from. And what we saw is that Zidane um, noticed that and he brought on Valverde in order to sort Mm. of take the sting out of the game. So in the second leg, do you guys feel that um, uh, Zidane starts Valverde from the off to try and, like, in in expectation that Liverpool are going to try and um, get uh, get on the front foot early on? Do you think uh, uh, Zidane changes his tactics or goes with the same team that he, he started this game with? Who do you drop? That's the problem, isn't it? Like both of the wingers scored, and then you're looking at taking out maybe one of the midfielders, and they all mm. they all played really well. Um, the thing is, Real is that when they when they take out one of Cruz or Modric, they actually seem to lose a surprising amount of control. And Casemiro is just doing everything for them at the moment. Like you feel for Valverde because he's one of the more exciting young players in Europe. But that means, I mean, what Modric and Cruz are doing at their age is is remarkable, Crazy. really. And yeah. like, it's just you. Everyone thought they were done a year or two ago, and to, to still be here playing like that in the Champions League quarter final against the champions of England. Yeah, I mean, I think 
I think Zidane will go as, as he was, and then he's got Alverde if he needs him. Mm. Also, I think Zidane will be thinking, no, we can get goals here. This isn't a Liverpool team that we should be scared of. There's cracks in that defence, and once we stress test them, they can fold. I mean, you know, those mistakes, Trent obviously made a mistake, Kabak made a mistake, so why are you going to now sit off and leave that, knowing the damage you've already caused to them? So I think, as Pete said, it's going to be the same eleven for Real Madrid. Mm-hmm. Do you reckon Firmino starts the next game? Yeah, that's yeah. what I was saying. Yeah. I was saying over Mane? Yeah, I, I would have him over Mane and I'll start a front for Firmino, Jota and Salah. Very yeah, I like, I like that. Very, very interesting. Right, okay. We'll certainly uh, be interesting to see that, that second leg come next week. Um, the third game that we wanted to discuss was, of course, the, the game between City and Dortmund. Um, this one was billed as the uh, the dress rehearsal for uh, ha- uh, Haaland, um, who 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 of course has been rumored. I mean, I mean, he he he's been linked with every man and his dog ultimately. But um, I think particularly with the news of Sergio Aguero leaving City come the end of the season, I think the links have intensified. Um, um, you know, uh, with, with uh, the rumors connecting him to to Manchester City. Um, of course, going into this game. Um, uh, Dortmund were, of course, without star player uh, Jadon Sancho. Um, but ultimately, City were expected to um, to come away winners of, of the tie. I know in previous episodes, uh, Dej, you, you know, you've spoken about that that crazy ten minutes and whether um, uh, you know City can weather the storm in those crazy ten minutes. It, did you see enough of that in in, in that game did, uh, to suggest that they're, they're they're doing better at being able to manage that that crazy spell, or are you still not convinced as yet? Um, to be honest, I'm still not convinced. Um, prior to that game, you expected City to monopolise the ball, keep it safe, but there wasn't that sort of urgency that we've seen in recent weeks. And I know Pep came out after the game and said he sensed there was a bit of apprehension in the team maybe because this is the stage that they've fallen out, you know, mm. throughout his period at the club. So I was saying off air when we were speaking before the draw that I want to see this Manchester City versus Dortmund draw because I feel Dortmund have those weapons, you know, similarly to like a Monaco and Leon that can put Manchester City out. And they're the sort of team that on a transition, on a counter-attack, I can rely on a Holland, on a Marco Royce to pick up the right pass and ultimately score a goal. I want to know what Dortmund are having for breakfast on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and why they're not having it on Saturdays. Because I've watched, Dortmund, I've watched Dortmund for the last three or four weeks in the Bundesliga and they have been shocking, terrible. Can't can't defend, often can't score. But something happens to that team when they play in the Champions League. They are, I mean, they, oh, again, City dominate, obviously, but Dortmund were in it for the entire match. Dortmund were in it and I was... I was convinced it would be a comprehensive win for City. I just couldn't, especially when Emre Chan started handing out goals. I just yeah. I couldn't see Goodness a way me. in which I couldn't say I couldn't see a way in which they were going to stay in that game. But credit to them, they did. And Haaland took a little while to get going, but by the end, he was really making himself known. And the link up with Royce for the goal was obviously beautiful. And I mean, yeah, it, it's it's the most alive tie of the three for, of the four. Sorry for me. Like I just mm. I just think Dortmund. Are, almost giving up on the Bundesliga and they're just putting all their eggs into this basket, which seems wildly unwise, but they are playing as well as I've ever seen them play in the Champions League. This is 
this is what this is obviously their moment and maybe being in that limelight is what those players want rather than just playing at the standard Bundesliga kickoff time because they're obviously not they're not being moved around at the moment because they're not good TV. So maybe this is just bringing the best out of them. But yeah, I mean, if I was City and I was Pep Guardiola, I'd be a little bit worried about that. Yeah, you know what? What scared me, or what you know, was when I saw um, Erling Haaland going toe to toe with Ruben Diaz, and, and, oh, yeah. and I just thought, yeah. goodness me, this guy is a physical specimen, man. Because we've seen Ruben Diaz absolutely dominate strikers in the Premier League week in week out this season. You know, he's just been that 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 Jericho wall, um, and um, and and yeah, it was just scary to see just how much of a, you know, a powerhouse uh, Erling Haaland is. I think also something else that was really interesting is just how sharp Royce was because yeah. he, you know, he, 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 he sort of went missing in the game, uh, uh, you know, in, in, in large spells. But when the chance finally did come to him, he was just as cold as ice in front, in front of goal, which I found um, particularly interesting. I actually have a bit of a curveball that I want to throw to you, Dot. Um, because we saw um, the uh, great performances from two young English um, midfielders in that game for opposing sides, uh, Phil Foden for Manchester City, and of course Jude Bellingham for Dortmund. So, if you were basing your decision purely on that game yesterday, and the decision was whether you take Phil Foden or Jude Bellingham, based on that performance yesterday. Who are you taking to the Euros? Because I can't make a judgment based on the performance yesterday. That's not fair. I, that, that's why it's a curveball, because it, 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 it's, it's completely um, unorthodox. Okay, but I'm just I'm... saying, if all, if all you had was a sample size of the game yesterday, just the game yesterday, right? What Who, who would you take uh, on the plane with you? I've got a bias towards Jude Bellingham, so I would take Bellingham. <laughs> And and why would you why what would what would um, form the basis of your your decision? Dortmund's best performer at the age of seventeen on a pitch full of world class players and world class midfielders like Kevin De Bruyne. I think this guy, he's a he's a special talent. Mm-hmm. His support circle keeping him on the straight and narrow. His mum, his dad, really you know doing well behind the scenes, keeping him focused on his football. And I think for him, the sky's the limit. And I remember on a previous show, I said that. He's going to be involved um, for England and the under-21 squad. But I think now he's got a massive chance to actually go to the Euros. That's how good he's been doing. Mm -hmm. So on the basis of yesterday's performance, I'm going to go with Jude. But in Mm -hmm. terms of who do I think is a bigger talent, I think Phil Foden. Fair play, fair play. And so still on the topic of Jude Bellingham, uh, because that's a perfect segue into my next question for you, Dej. Um, of course, there was a very, very contentious uh, moment in that game um, and, and one that certainly Tersic and, and the rest of the Dortmund camp will be uh, rightly uh, aggrieved at where, um, you know, uh, Edison dawdles on the ball, Jude Bellingham presses him, wins it, um, and then the whistle's blown as opposed to allowing the goal to stand and then allowing VAR to, 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 to review it. What are your thoughts on that particular moment in the game? I actually think it was a foul. And you mentioned that I think the referee should have allowed the play to continue to allow Bellingham to score the goal. Then you review it via VAR. But I think if that tackle happens anywhere else on the pitch, it's a foul. The studs were up and they made the collision with Edison's foot. 
So I actually believe that was the correct decision. However, how they arrived at the decision wasn't correct because the referee blew up. He he was reactionary instead of being proactive and letting the play continue. Mm, fair play. And and, and uh, Pete, do you echo that sentiment? Do you do you agree that it, it was a foul, or do you think um Jude Bellingham should have uh, been able to continue? Yeah, well, I agree definitely with Dej that the way the referee went about it wasn't great. Um, refereeing in general wasn't brilliant. Um, I'm not really sure either way. Obviously, it happened Tuesday night. We've watched it a couple of times since. And I can honestly make an argument either way, um, which I know isn't an answer that everyone wants. But it's one of it's, it's honestly, it's, it's one of those where, as Dej says, if it's on anywhere else on the pitch, it's probably a foul. But because of the way it happened with Edison dawdling I, and, I, and Bellingham taking the uh, taking the chance there, I, I would have liked to see. I think ultimately, if I had to pick one way or another, I'd say it's not a foul. But I think that's mostly just because of the way the play develops. And I think mm. if you isolate the incident, just those five seconds where the players connect, then it obviously looks like more of a foul. I'm sorry, boys. That's never, ever, ever, ever a foul. I mean, it's a 50-50, both players going for the ball. Jude Bellingham outsmarts Edison. That's a that's a clean goal. There's no way that's a foul. I think when you put in a scenario, as I said, anywhere else on the pitch, but mm. it's the manner of how it happened. It's sort of like everyone saying, oh, Edison, you're doodling. Good for you. That's what no, happens when you take the mickey. If that's, that's a 50-50 a... in the middle of the pitch, I'm not going to say that's a foul. I'm going to be like, wow, like he cleaned up the play. Lovely, lovely tackle. That's, that's but never the a fact foul. His the studs were up. He, his studs were up and it made a collision with Edison. Mm-hmm. So I think Edison kicked him. Yeah, but there was a collision and Jude's foot was up. Studs up. The rule book, if your studs are up, it's a foul. It's sort of dangerous play. So uh, honestly, in my opinion, <laughs> I can see why the ref gave it. And I think it was a foul. Fair play. This is certainly going to be one of those points that we'll have to agree to disagree on. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and and move on to the, the final game of the quarterfinals, which was played between Porto and, and, and Chelsea. Um, and we're going to go to you, Pete, to kick us off on, on this game. Uh, Chelsea came away 2-0 um, winners and, of course, crucially got those two away goals. Um, I think Prior to the fixture, everyone expected them ultimately to see through this particular tie. Um, I mean, that was that was the yeah, the expectation. Um, were you surprised at all with the result, or or did it play out just as as you had expected it to? So, yeah, there's two scores of thought here. On the one hand, we we discussed on this pod before, Porto are a dangerous team. They're well coached and they're well organised. Then you factor in the fact that Chelsea were embarrassed by West Brom on Saturday. Um, and then you start to think, well, well, maybe there's something going on here. Um, but then actually the performance tonight sort of showed why most people put Chelsea's favourites. It was very clinical, it was very efficient. Yeah, Porto had chances that, that it wasn't as if they Chelsea restricted them completely, but it was so it was so it was so experienced from a team that isn't really used to being here and some of the players who were shining is particularly Mason Mount someone who's never been at the stage before and he takes everything in his stride and after Saturday's game this was the perfect response for Tuchel to see um you can imagine some harsh words were said after the game um and I don't think it was too surprising that he by and large went for a relatively similar team to the one that played on Saturday I think he 
wanted to prove to both his players and to the media that that was just an aberration. It was just a blip, nothing more. And he put his faith back in his players, which I think was the right decision. Um, and I think there's not the only things you can really be upset about is it's obviously another game without goals for Timo Werner and Kai Havertz, as we discussed beforehand. Um, but other than that, it's, it was a clinical performance. And it's one of those performances which actually you were used to seeing from Chelsea in the past. But obviously, in the last few years under Frank Lampard in particular, you never really knew when the chaotic side of Chelsea was going to come out. It obviously came out at the weekend. The difference between Tuchel and Lampard, as I said before, is that it came out once. It didn't come out again. Hey, can I can I ask you a question, please? Because I've been in a lot of debates with Chelsea fans, and early on on in the season, I said Mason Mount looks like twice the player of Havertz. So, what is your take on Havertz as a as a Chelsea fan? It's weird. So, when we, when Chelsea signed Havertz, it was exciting in the sense of he was one of the most exciting young players in Europe. But it came with the caveat that. By Leverkusen built a system around him and what his unique gifts. And I was apprehensive that Lampard would know what to do with him. And that proved to be the case when he started shifting him out wide, um, which is obviously is not where he's best. He's looked a little bit under Tuchel, but it really is it really is night and day. And I don't think you're wrong in saying that right now Mount is twice the player. Mount just brings so much more. It's too it's almost too lackadaisical with Havertz. And I know it's always been like that. And it's just his playing style. And you sort of have to embrace it. And he does he does actually work relatively hard, to be fair to him. I just don't think he knows where he plays best. And I understand what Tuchel's trying to do with this 3-4-2-1 formation and playing him as like one of the two tens or even as the false nine. Just get him near the goal, let his feet and let his brain do the talking. But it doesn't seem to really matter what either Chelsea manager has done with him. Nothing is really clicking. And he obviously had COVID, he's moved to a new country, didn't have a lot of time to adjust. So you never want to write a player off after three quarters of a season, particularly a young player. But right now, I just, I don't see how you could possibly make the argument he deserves to be starting. That's a fair point. Um, Just on Porto, I think, as we suspected, this was going to be last rights for them in this competition and obviously they were heavily struck by the inavailability of two of their key players, you know, the striker, um, Taremi, um, also Oliveira as well. He was a key man in the destruction of, of Juventus, but Mason Mount is a man that we've mentioned and the way he took his goal, that sort of pirouette, the pass, you know, Jorginho punching it into him and the defender stretching, missing it and he just pirouetted he didn't have to look at the goal, strike it across. That's what coaches teach young players to do in their training. And I think he's sort of been like a whipping boy throughout the Lampard reign. People obviously picking him out for whatever reason. I don't know, because this is a player that applies himself week in, week out. He's a Chelsea boy. He does his best for the club. And, you know, to score his first Champions League goal in such a vital game, I thought was fantastic. He, he, is, he, he is Lampard's legacy. Like in five or ten years' time, you will look back at the Lampard Lampard era of Chelsea and Mason Mount is the legacy. Like he was given his chance, he earned it at Derby, he came back, he came back in. And he is 
as important to Chelsea as anyone else. There's no one who makes them tick in the same way. You can take out any other player and put someone in and it won't make a difference. Mount is the one where when he's not playing, Chelsea looks so much different. And I just think that for all the chat about Foden, Grealish, Sterling, Rashford, whatever. No, you know, I'm going to say it because he, he, he should be he should be starting. He should be starting. He should. That's your Chelsea bias coming. No, out. it's not. It's not. He should be starting. He can do it. And for me, like when I look at the way England are setting up, particularly at the moment with Henderson injured, I'd be playing him next to Rice. I'd be playing him deeper, and he can he can do it. He can work. He's got the work rate. He's got the defensive positioning now to do it. And if Henderson's going to be coming into the Euros half fit. I'd be starting Mount next to Rice. And I think England have got to look at their system and how they're playing. And you've got to take a few risks and be a bit more attacking because at the moment, like, they're really relying on, like, basically, like, Harry Kane to bail them out at the moment. And I just think if you put someone like Mount a little bit deeper, it energises the entire team and it brings a little bit of creativity to the midfield, which Rice is only giving intermittently. Uh, I hear that, to be honest, and it's funny because I was actually speaking to an FA registered intermediary yesterday and he has um, a client that's in the Chelsea youth team and he was saying, listen, they all use Mason Mount as the reference. If you want to be the next Mount, you better put in the work, you better train hard, you better lead by example, you better leave a clean lifestyle. So he's the player that is used as, as the pin-up and the flagship at Chelsea because he's the ultimate professional. I'm just happy that there isn't someone. There's someone else now because now you, these kids can look up to people like Mason Mount and Reese James, who are actual proper role models. Mm. In the past, like when the academy kids were trying to look for an example of like players who came through, it was John Terry, and like as good as Terry was on the pitch, he obviously wasn't a saint off it. And I just think to have have these players <laughs> like Mount and Reese James and Tammy Abraham just coming in, and I just think it gives Chelsea just a better identity. And I just think for a club that puts so much effort into its academy to see it finally paying off in this regard. I think it just it gives the whole club a boost, which obviously was what was obviously what Lampard used for a while. Now the challenge for Tuchel is to actually take that next step for Chelsea and not just be like a nice little setup. Now they've got to be serious, especially when you spent 220 million or whatever it was in the summer. Mm. Very, very interesting stuff. You know, just before we round up, I just had one final uh, question that I wanted to ask you, gents, and, and that is where you stand on Timo Werner at this point in time. Um, it, you know, the, the way that I see it, I feel that he is a player who could potentially do with um, a spell... Uh, outside of uh, of the limelight and 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 perhaps on the, on the sidelines for a little bit just to rebuild his his, his uh, confidence. Don't Taurus him, man. Don't Taurus him. You know what? Sorry to interject. I think mm. Dej summed it up perfectly a few weeks ago. He was like, "When Lewandowski is one on one, it's like the time stands still. When mm. Werner is one on one at the moment, time speeds up." And I think. He's just a bit too eager when he gets one-on-one. When he gets in behind, you're never really confident that he's going to bury the chance. And it almost does remind me of Fernando Torres at Chelsea. And I just think, you know what? Calm down. Continue to play. Because he's actually playing decently. He's He's playing well. He's doing a lot. Getting in behind. He's a threat. So you can actually see that he's a very good player. So I think once he gets that one goal, he's a player that can score five in five. Mm. No, definitely. And he's a player that's got tools to worry any mm. defence. When you look at the profile striker, Chelsea have got, obviously Havertz is playing in that false nine. You've got Tammy who can get him behind. And you've got Giroud 
But if you ask any centre-back, who are they least like to play against? Mm. It's Timo Werner. Maybe not because he's getting the goals, but because of the attributes he brings to the team. And when he made his move to Chelsea, I always thought this is a move that wasn't 100% likely to come off because of the moving parts, because this was a club in transition. He seems to be much more of a shyer personality. A move to like a Liverpool I could see him going there and dominating from minute one because the setup was already there. He only needed one or two players to come in and improve the squad. Whereas in Chelsea, six, seven, eight, nine players coming in. So I think he's a good player. His time will come, but mm. he needs patience. I think Tuchel needs to play him into form rather than take him out okay. of the limelight, in my in my opinion. Yeah. That's why that's why the Havertz thing is weird, because when they were both signed, I thought what I thought would be the case would be that you'd have Werner as the central striker, creating the space by pushing the defenders back and causing them problems, which someone like Havertz with his intelligence could utilise. But now, obviously, Tuchel switched it and he's playing Havertz as the one who's playing slightly further. Werner, he's trying to play Werner in off the left, which I, I get. I understand is way he did a lot for Leipzig, but I'd like. I, I just think that if he thinks his defence is good enough and that West Brom was actually just a one-off and it's not a thing. Take the chance by playing Werner high up the pitch because he might not be getting the goals, but I think he just creates the space for other players. And I think that's what he's going to be best at until he starts finding that touch in front of goal. Mm. So do you, do you agree then that um, he should, uh, too sure that is, should should play him into form as opposed to um, taking him some... Yeah, definitely. I, just, I, think, I, think you, I think when Tammy Abraham's fully fit, um, I think you give him chances to play. But he obviously has gone off the ball before his injury. So I think I love Oliver Giroud, but he's a very specific type of player and he does mm. change the way Chelsea play. And I think, again, really quickly, just because I know we're short on time, but I thought the Ben Chilwell performance was really impressive tonight. And I think that says a lot because I think Tuchel came in and he immediately decided that Marcus Alonso was his left wing back. But I think if you're going to play Tammy Abraham, so if you're going to play Timo Werner up front, I think Ben Chilwell should be a left wing back because I think he will be the one who's cutting the ball back rather than trying to cross it in. Because what's the point of crossing to Werner? It's ridiculous. Mm. But Chilwell's got the Chilwell's got the awareness to to cut it back when Werner's making that little drop back into the, the penalty spot. So I think that could be an interesting dynamic to watch going forward. Certainly, will be a, a very interesting one to watch. Last one on Timo Werner. I think. I've got a question mark over his mentality. I remember earlier on in the season, he made a few comments about the Premier League being unforgiving. And I was actually catching up with a Premier League scout not too long ago. And he was like, one of the checks that a lot of the top clubs in the Premier League do is mental checks. How does he react when he's not scoring? If he misses a chance, what's his body language? And with Timo Werner, I almost see him getting too down when he misses a chance. Whereas someone like, for example, the way Liverpool San Diego Jota, he's ice cool. Whether he scores or not, it's the same mentality over and over and again. And maybe that's why Liverpool went for Jota and not Werner. What you can think about is the Galatasaray game when he just he had to put his fingers in his ears because it was too loud. It's like, like, like you're, you're, you're playing Champions League football, son. Like, noise is not a problem. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
Right, of course, that's that's unfortunately all we've got time for. Uh, thank you very much, guys, for sharing your thoughts on those particular fixtures. I think, um, you know, in in the return legs next week, there's there's still uh, lots to uh, lots to cover. Uh, I think, you know, Pete, you already mentioned that that uh, city and. Um, Dortmund uh, second leg is, is finally poised, as is the the PSG and um, Bayern one. So of course we'll uh, we'll, we'll eagerly wait that uh, those second legs next week, and of course we'll uh, be back again next week sharing our thoughts on the the ties as a whole, and of course the second legs of of each of those ties. So we're going to leave it there, guys. Until next time, thank you very much for listening in. Until next time, over and out. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 